Thanks again for joining us for today's February Ask the Expert call. Now, without any further delay, I would like to introduce today's host, Stephanie McGrath with Align Technology. Stephanie, you now have the floor. Thank you, Heather. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's Ask the Expert webinar, Tracking Problems. The good news, there are only eight with Dr. David Gates. You will earn two CE hours for attending today's program, and you will receive important instructions on how to obtain your CE certificate at the conclusion of the presentation. Additionally, CE hours will automatically be added to your Invisalign doctor site account. Please allow two to four weeks for CE hours to appear on your account. Please note you are able to listen to today's program via the webcast, and throughout the webinar you will have the opportunity to ask text questions, which our presenter will answer at the conclusion of the presentation. I apologize in advance if we are unable to answer everyone's questions since our time is limited, but we will follow up after the program to answer any outstanding text questions. Today's program will be archived in its entirety one week from today on the Education tab of your Invisalign doctor site, where you may also access archived versions of all of our previous Ask the Expert programs anytime for CE hours. It's now my distinct pleasure to introduce our speaker today, Dr. David Gates. Dr. David Gates has been treating Invisalign patients at his practice in Las Vegas since 2001. He maintains a private practice focusing on cosmetic, reconstructive implants, as well as Invisalign treatment. Dr. Gates lectures throughout the United States, Canada, and Central America, and conducts numerous study clubs as well. He is a graduate of Marquette University. So without further delay, I'll turn the program over to Dr. Gates. Dr. Gates, you now have the floor. Welcome, doctors, to the Solving Tracking Problems in Invisalign. I'm delighted to spend an hour with you today talking about something that is of great interest to me in helping with Invisalign. I'm told that there will be between 400 and 500 of you online with me today. And obviously, this is going to be archived, so you're welcome to listen to it at another time. I'm very hopeful that this will be helpful to you as you treat Invisalign, because I like to be in a problem-solving mode. And so we're going to talk about eight issues related to tracking problems with Invisalign. And then we'll take some questions at the end. All right. All righty. So uh, the things we're going to talk about today are, are my approach, and I take responsibility for those. That little disclaimer statement lets you know that this is not necessarily the endorsement from a line, but hopefully they are totally aligned with the things that are happening there. Let's talk about a scenario that you may have experienced. Many of you have talked to me about this scenario, so it should sound very familiar. The aligner movements go well, but then one doesn't quite fit. The next aligner fits even less. And this gapping that you see between the aligner and the teeth gets bigger. But you press on. Surely it will get better. And sometimes you apply the chewies. Sometimes you have other techniques that you use. And when it doesn't get better, what do you do? A mid-course correction is the frequent response that doctors make. And does that sound familiar? We've all had that experience, not knowing why the aligner doesn't fit very well and why this gapping is going on. That's a very unnerving thing. So you take new impressions, the new aligners arrive, and they fit great. But then the same thing seems to happen, only this time it's sooner or it's more pronounced. And so the case seems to drift a little further away. You're a little more unsure. It's not seating as well. The same gapping that happened the first time happens a second time. And another mid-course correction is necessary. I talk to doctors very frequently on the phone about this kind of scenario. Now, you certainly have case, cases that have gone very successfully, and I'm grateful for those and grateful for my own cases that go that way but I'm particularly wanting to discuss this particular problem. So you're frustrated that the technician can't get it right, and the patient's frustrated that the doctor can't get it right. That ever happened to you? That's happened to me. And part of the, the dealing with this problem and figuring out how to solve it are the main things that I'd like to share with you today. So when the aligners don't fit well, we say they're not tracking. My aligner is not tracking. 
Successful tracking means that the teeth stay in the aligner throughout treatment, that there's a good fit. Now, if you have a first aligner that fits well, that implies that you actually have uh, a good scan or a good impression. So they did fit at the beginning. What happened in those movements? Poor tracking is the appearance of gaps between the aligner and the teeth. The aligner fits more poorly over time and then fails to seat progressively over time. And at some point, you just throw up your hands and say, I just need to take a new impression. What I'd like to accomplish in our hour today is to identify what's happening that's causing the tracking problems. What's making the aligner not fit well? Now, if we understand the why, then we can manage the how. You've heard that your whole career. You understand the why first, and then you can manage the how. And so studying the ClinCheck and comparing it to the teeth and the aligner fit will almost always identify what's causing the tracking problem. So as we look at cases today, I'd like to invite you to study the ClinCheck and then compare it to the teeth. Now, hopefully your office is set up in such a way that you can do that easily while the patient's in the chair. If you have to drag in a laptop from room to room, that makes it more complicated and more difficult for you to study the ClinCheck while you're studying the teeth because that's what's going to teach you what's causing the tracking problem. Now, when you went back in the day to the first Invisalign course, this is a slide you saw. There wasn't very much in that first course. There wasn't good strategies to teach you what to do. In fact, this slide appears on the first one. It says, what are the tracking issues? It tells you the potential causes, patient compliance, insufficient space, if tight contacts, and forced delivery is compromised. But it doesn't really tell you what to do about it. And so this second slide that appears in that same seminar says, strategies for off-track teeth. This is actually in the Invisalign Assist seminar that we teach. What are your strategies? Well, they gave you three of them. One is progress impressions. That's for Invisalign Assist only. You're going to take those no matter what, whether you have tracking problems or not. And then the second strategy is to do nothing and save until refinement. That implies that you absolutely are going to do refinement, which I hope not to do in many cases. And the third option was to incorporate advanced techniques taught in the Invisalign Intermediate course. So, of course, you didn't get any of those in the beginner's course. Not too many strategies to deal with there. And so I hope to give you some substantial strategies to help you to address off-track teeth. Now, one of the techniques I use a lot is to open up the two clean checks at the same time. This takes a little manipulation because you see that what I have here is side-by-side -side, two clean checks. I'm not looking at the dual view that you can get in ClinCheck Pro because that doesn't necessarily show exactly what I'm looking for, but I've opened up a ClinCheck, the first one on the left, and then the refinement on the right. The first ClinCheck series is on the last aligner. You see it's on aligner 32, and the, the, the one on the right is on zero. What, that, what does that tell us? It tells us what was supposed to happen versus what actually did happen. Comparing those two and studying those is very useful because here, I will show you this case later, is a case where the laterals did not rotate. They didn't rotate the way they were supposed to. Why not? We'll get to that in a moment. Okay, often when I ask doctors why the aligner is not fitting, I get a very common answer. I don't know. I don't know why the aligners are not fitting. And so what I hope is, is at the end of our time together, that you understand why the aligner is not fitting and what you can do about it. Okay, I want you to consider this. First, an aligner that doesn't fit is a symptom. It's not the cause of the problem. The aligner, this is generally speaking, because I'm going to show you one or two exceptions, the aligner is not the cause of the problem. The cause of the problem is failure of the tooth to move as anticipated. It's the tooth that caused the problem. The aligner is the symptom. Aligner misfit is a symptom. Fix the problem, not the symptom. So when you ask the patient to bite harder or you ask them to use a chewy or you use a dimpling pliers, all of those are trying to fix the problem, but they're mostly addressing the symptom. So we're going to talk about the problems and not the symptoms. So uh, understanding why failed movement produces uh, an aligner misfit allows us to diagnose properly. 
and prevent the problem the next time. So mostly what I'm talking about is not the fixes, although I do, I will show you a number of those. I'm not trying to address how to fix the problem. I'm trying to address how to prevent it. And I will tell you that I view that there's only two problems in Invisalign. One is compliance and one is collisions. Compliance and collisions. When the teeth bang together, when they hit together, when they collide together, they can't move. So your job is to input prevention strategies to keep the teeth from colliding. So yes, I'm going to try to show you how to fix some problems in the middle, but I'm going to try to fundamentally to keep you away from mid-course corrections or refinements, which are occasionally necessary. In fact, often necessary, but I'm trying to reduce that as much as possible. Okay, so I'm going to just take the position that if there's only two problems in design collisions and compliance, there are only two reasons that teeth don't move. One is they don't have enough force, so you're going to have to increase the force. And that's the minority of the problems. The major one is they don't have space to move. So the strategies that I'm going to outline for you are intended to increase the available space for teeth to move in, and in some cases, the force. But space is the big one, force is the secondary one. So that's the big emphasis for today is you setting up your clean checks to avoid collisions by giving space in the Invisalign. And so we're going to go ahead and walk through eight uh, tracking problems that you face. Okay. Here's the first one, is failure to buccalize. That's common to all of you. I'll show you some examples of that. So here's the case where we have failure to buccalize. The gapping comes because the teeth didn't do what the aligner thought they were supposed to do. So the bigger the discrepancy between the where the aligner wants to go and where the teeth are is what creates that gap. Here's another version of that. You can see that as the teeth buccalize, you're getting a gapping around 22, 23, 24, and a little bit around 25, not so much around 26 and 27. So you'll get your eye trained to where the collision takes place, where the traffic jam takes place, and how that affects where the aligner is seating. Now watch these laterals coming out. This is what's supposed to happen. This is the check that shows how that is going to happen. And then what did happen, the aligner doesn't seat. Why? because the teeth didn't buccalize the way they were supposed to, and this is the result at the back side of the aligner. Watch this line right here shows where the aligner is. Unfortunately, this shows where the teeth are. That gapping is a multi-tooth gap. And so watch again what happens. Those laterals come out, and boom, there's the collisions. That's where the teeth bind so they can't move where they're supposed to go. Now, the result of that is, is that the back side of that aligner starts to gap, and you can see that there's some areas where there's some pressure points. So this is what was supposed to happen, and that's what did happen, and the result, the cause was that I didn't have enough space in, in between those teeth as they were to move forward. Now, look at the diagram here that shows on the left, the tooth is trying to buccalize, and the aligner is trying to push the tooth buccally. But what happens sometimes is that the tooth fails to move because it's binding, so the aligner then moves forward, and that's where that gapping is created. And it has some characteristics. There's a pressure point on the back, and it also has some lingual gapping on the back. Those are sort of the classic signs that the, the failure to buccalize is taking place. There's the gap on the back, and then you can see right here is that pressure point, and you'll see those to varying degrees with varying teeth. There's another example, and if you look carefully, you can see some pressure points on tooth number 26 as well as tooth number 24. All right, so you're looking at the difference here between what uh, the beginning point was and what the end point was, and that uh, superimposition gives you an indication of where that collision is going to take place because obviously you're going to try to avoid that in your setups. You're going to try to have a setup that doesn't have collisions built into it. That's where those collisions are in that case, and that's why the aligner kept gapping when it got further and further away from its correct position. Now, one of the things that you check often is the floss. I suggest you use this technique to make sure you don't have a collision. Here I'm, I'm uh, putting a condenser on the tooth number 25, 
And the clean check shows that 25 is the one that's supposed to be buccalizing. And I suddenly find, hmm, I actually have a binding between the teeth. The teeth, uh, the teeth are binding there. I didn't think they were. I flossed them first. So putting a little pressure the way the aligner does is a better indication of whether or not you have a collision. So we use this technique routinely to make sure that we're not getting a false negative. Oh, no, I don't have a, I'm, not, I'm not colliding on those teeth. Well, you may be colliding because you're putting pressure on the tooth in the same way the aligner puts pressure on the tooth. So those two things, I either need more force or I need more space. And most often, it's because I don't have enough space. I have a collision. So what does failure to buccalize look like? This is a sort of a summary. The ClinCheck shows buccalization. The multi-tooth gapping appears at the incisal. The pressure points are on the lingual, and there's a gapping at the lingual. So those are some of the classic signs of failure to buccalize, and those can be solved by increasing the space. Now, here's another version of failure to buccalize, which is not a space issue. It's actually a force issue. This was caused by noncompliance. Because the patient wasn't wearing the aligners enough, there wasn't sufficient force to move them. You would think with this particular ClinCheck that there'd be plenty of room. Let's take a look at what happens. If you look at this particular picture, you'll see that there's a lot of gapping around the facial of 22 and also some lingual gapping. And we'll take a look and see why that particular thing takes place. And that's because as it comes out, she didn't wear them often enough. That's a force issue, not a space issue. There's plenty of space there. So why did it happen? Noncompliance, insufficient force. So that's another reason we had failure to buccalize. And there you can see the gapping between the teeth and where the aligner is. Gapping around the affected tooth and the adjacent tooth. That's a force issue, not a space issue. Okay, so that takes care of failure to buccalize. Let's look at failure to lingualize, which is basically the same thing. It's just the opposite of how the teeth are moving, but it's the same problem, and that is collisions. Here's a failure to lingualize. There's a big gap between all of those front teeth. Let's look and see what the ClinCheck looks like. Okay, those teeth are coming inward, and so at some point there was binding, and the teeth, the aligner now is not able to seat. Now, I avoid collapsing the arch almost always. I will give you that as just a suggestion. Whenever I see a ClinCheck where the teeth are collapsing in, where the arch is going in like this, I ask myself, is there another way to do that? Especially if there's a lot of IPR on the bottom. If you stop and don't lingualize the teeth, don't collapse the arch, then you have less IPR to do on the bottom. The lingualization or the collapsing of the arch is also responsible for a common problem that you have where you end up with a case at the end where there's open contacts in the back, posterior open bite. And that's often caused because that... Uh, arch is shrinking. So I would try to avoid that. In any case, you can see where the gapping is taking place. Your liner doesn't seat because the teeth haven't gone quite as far back. And this is two teeth going in opposite directions. Number nine is going lingually. Number 10 is going buccally. And so if you remember that wonderful story, not wonderful, tragic story about the Titanic, it scraped along the iceberg, ripped a hole in the hull, and then the ship sunk. We all know the story. If there had been a gap of just a quarter of an inch between the ship and the iceberg, there would have been no story. And so I compare that to two teeth going in opposite directions where one is going buckling and one is going lingually at the same time. The, the boat is scraping against the ice and there's a collision and then the teeth are not able to move where they're supposed to move. Failure to lingualize looks exactly the opposite of failure to buccalize. The tooth moves lingually, as you see on the left there. And here we see that we, the aligner moves lingually, but the tooth doesn't because of the collisions that are interproximal. And then you get that same thing, a pressure point on the facial and a pressure and a buccal gapping on the, uh, at the gingival margin. Those are the sort of characteristic signs. You can see that the pressure points along the incisal edge of those three teeth, that's an attachment on that middle one. If you look there, you see that gapping that occurs when that starts to lift and the aligner can't seat because the teeth can't lingualize. So that's a space issue. That's not a force issue. It's a space issue, so you need to create more space in your ClinCheck. What does failure to lingualize look like? To repeat, to recap, the, the ClinCheck shows lingualization there. It goes moving right in this photograph there. The multi-tooth gapping at the incisal 
I've shown you that, and then the gapping on the facial. Those are characteristics of failure to lingualize and pressure points on the facial. Okay, again, a space issue, not a force issue. Now, how do you fix that? The cure for that? Well, the better question is, how do I prevent it? I'll show you both, but I want to emphasize this This uh, webinar is about preventing the problem. So fixing the, the is the same for uh, failure to lingualize and failure to buccalize. Both are the same. You create space where the collision takes place, and then you increase the force. Those will work. The chewy will work. The increase in force will work, provided that you have space for the tooth to move. Now, I prefer not to have to go in and do uh, pre pre-IPR, uh, that is to say when I'm troubleshooting, but I certainly can and I certainly will, but I'd like to plan it in as a prevention. So why does the chewy work? The chewy works because it pushes the force downward and then it takes this area where the force is and causes the tooth to move provided it has enough space. So you must provide room for the tooth to move. It needs space and force. You create the space first and then you create the force second. So how to prevent better to buccalize and lingualize, take a look. You create space in your ClinCheck that prevents collisions. Watch this ClinCheck between number 26 and number 27, and you'll see that like the Titanic that wouldn't have sunk, there was space in there until the very last. <coughs> Remember that analogy because it's helpful. Whenever you see one tooth coming in and one tooth coming out at the same time, your chances of creating a collision that's going to limit the movements goes way up. Here's another view of that same ClinCheck. Notice that those teeth are apart. They have space. So your uh, responsibility or the way that you can make it easier is create a ClinCheck that has space during those critical movements. The way that I ask for it is in my uh, ClinCheck, I say to the technician uh, around the tooth of concern, I want one-tenth of a millimeter. That's not much one-tenth of a millimeter of space between all the rotating teeth or all the moving teeth until they're in their final position. One-tenth of a millimeter isn't very much space. It doesn't change the anatomy or the physiology or the bone structure, but it keeps you out of collisions. Okay, that's buccalize and lingualize. Okay, let's look at a failure to extrude. You deal with this a lot. This is a very common one. And I'll show you some examples of this. Tooth number 27, failed to extrude. Here's another one. Tooth number 6, failed to extrude. Tooth number 7, failed to extrude. Tooth number 12, failed to extrude. All of them have that gapping. Here's both 7 and 10 at the same time that failed to extrude. You can see the attachments there. Okay, so what I recommended here was that you check to make sure that the tooth is actually extruding. And if it is, then you have, and, and, and if you have a gap, then you have failure to extrude. Now, take a look at number nine. You'll see that number nine is also extruding. But when we come to the ClinCheck, and when we come to the aligner in place, we see a gap there. What's happening there? Watch again, and you'll see there's the collisions. It's trying to extrude, but it can't. Now, no one movement usually ever happens in isolation. Occasionally it does. I'm, I'm portraying them as though they're all isolated, but usually it's a combination of movements. And in this case, you're actually having some intrusion from number eight. But if you'll notice, there is no attachment on number nine. So the problem that was greater was there was no attachment for extrusion. So did it lack space? Yes, probably. But what did it also lack? It lacked force. It didn't have enough space, but it didn't have enough force. In this case, it was both of them. Okay, what does failure to extrude look like? How do you notice it? The ClinCheck shows that the tooth is extruding. Make sure you've checked that on your ClinCheck. The attachment is on the facial because extruding teeth always did attachments. You get single tooth gapping at the incisal rather than multi-tooth gapping and you get a poor fit because the attachment now interferes with the seating of the aligner. Some people have recommended at some point that that be removed, but that's a symptom. The actual cause is that there's a collision somewhere and you know where it is. It's probably interproximal or there's a lack of force. 
if there's plenty of room in between, then there wasn't enough grab on the aligner to pull that up. So the attachment was either too shallow or too angulated or not, not significant enough. So how do you fix it? Well, again, this is about prevention. The better question is, how do I prevent that? Check out this, and I'll talk about solving it for a minute. This is uh, tooth number 12. We're going to just try to extrude that. It had a long journey to go. Six and a half millimeters worth of extrusion were necessary. And so by the time I get to a liner 18, it's looking pretty good. But by the time it gets to a liner 40, it started to gap. Okay, and then that was what I wanted to do was start early and not wait for it for a long time because the problem was a collision between tooth number 11 and tooth number 12. And so what do I do? I get in there and I add space. Because add space is going to counteract the fact that it's a collision. And then I add force. Put an elastic on it to pull it down. So then when he started out, his tooth was like this. And when he finished up, his tooth was like that. But on the last six aligners, I needed to use an elastic to pull it all the way down. Now here's another example of, first of all, you create space. But the tooth is gapping. This is a little bit more severe. And then put an elastic on it to add force to make sure that you have space first. And then when it was all done, the tooth had come back down to where it was supposed to be. One of the reasons that it's not helpful to do a mid-course correction or refinement in this case is you lose the very space you need for the tooth to go into. So this can be done on the fly. You don't have to start over to do that. Same thing here. We know that this was failure to extrude because the clean check shows that it was, and also those two teeth have attachments on them to help pull them down. So we add force by putting elastics on and then bring them all the way down and continue on with the case. We didn't have to start over. We didn't have to do a mid-course correction. We didn't have to do a refinement in that way. Okay, let's take a look at failure to intrude. This is a fairly complicated one because... It can't be fixed on the fly. Here's a single tooth intrusion failure. This is what it was supposed to look like, and this is what it did look like. And you can see right here that that tooth uh, did not intrude the way that it was supposed to. And so can you identify the problem here? Sure you can. This is a single tooth intrusion failure. How do I add more force with my existing aligners? Sorry to say you can't. This one is a multi-tooth intrusion failure. It was supposed to look like this on the left. That's what we're looking for. This is what actually happened at the end of the first series of aligners. Multi-tooth failure to intrude. How do you fix it? Well, the better question is, how do you prevent it? You cannot fix that on the fly. The only way that you can do it is start over because you need greater force. The aligners didn't have enough force to push those teeth down so they failed to intrude. How are you going to correct that problem? Intrusion is only a matter of force, usually not a matter of space. You have room for the teeth to intrude. You just don't have the force to do it. But you can't add additional force to an existing set of aligners. Sorry to say, you have to start over. So in the case of failure to intrude, you are going to be doing a mid-course correction or refinement. That's why, as you see cases that need to intrude, you're going to want to build in extra force from the beginning. How are you going to do that? I'll give you three ways. One, increase the number of anchorage attachments from two, which is the Invisalign default, to four, or from four to six. Here was one before. You see that I've got some attachments on the bicuspids on the left, and I added additional ones, all anchorage attachments, to give the aligner more grab, more leverage, more anchorage, as it goes to intrude these teeth. A second strategy that's very helpful is to ask for more than you need. Now, I would never want a clean check to end up looking like this, but in a deep bite, if I ask for that, then I won't run out of aligners before I've gotten my intrusion done. I just st step off the escalator whenever I'm on the right floor. I don't have to keep going, even though I have more aligners. But more likely than not, you will be using many more aligners than you actually think you will need because of the resistance to intrusion. And a third strategy is to not to intrude all the six teeth simultaneously. Uh, that's called incremental intrusion, and it looks something like this. You see, you only move two at a time, 
and then two more, and then two more. The idea that you would be able to intrude six teeth is where you often run into trouble because you don't get as much intrusion as you thought you did. You asked for two millimeters and you only got one, or you asked for two and you only got one and a half. So when the front teeth bite together, the back teeth don't come together, and then you say, we say you have a posterior open bite. And failure to intrude is one of the main reasons why you have a posterior open bite. It's not that your molars are intruding, as is sometimes uh, mentioned. It's that the front teeth were supposed to intrude, and they didn't, or they didn't do it as far as they were supposed to. But what about teeth that have a gap, but they're not extruding? What about those? Well, let's look at the failure to buccalize or lingualize and point out that it's sometimes possible for the force on the tooth, which is now having trouble, to cause inadvertent intrusion. It looks something like this. The aligner squeezes the tooth downward. We sometimes call that the watermelon seed effect. It's that the aligner, as it's trying to move in one direction, translates the, the force of the tooth in an unwanted direction. And here's an example of that. The teeth actually intruded. It's very common to have those happen in the laterals or the lower anteriors. Those teeth have accidental intrusion. We didn't intend for them to do that, but they did. Now, in the subway in London, at the, at the edge, there's signs all over that say, mind the gap. Mind the gap. In fact, there's a logo, mind the gap, in the, uh, in the uh, metro down in, in London. And so I want you to mind the gap. Is the gap a failure to extrude or is it accidental intrusion? Is it failure to extrude or accidental intrusion? Now, looking at the ClinCheck is what's going to help you tell the difference. So look at the ClinCheck and see if the tooth is extruding or not in the ClinCheck. That will tell you. And also, the thing that will tell you is if it isn't extruding and there is a gap, then it's accidental intrusion. Now, inadvertent or accidental intrusion is very common on the lower anteriors or the laterals. Here's an example of that. You see there's no attachment, but the tooth got squeezed, if you will, watermelon squeezed by the aligner, creating that gap. Very common in those maxillary laterals. They're unique in their frequency of accidental intrusion. Okay, so there's failure to extrude. It's got the attachment on it, and there's accidental intrusion no attachment on it, and chewies don't work on either one. Why? Do you think that pushing the aligner into an intruded or failed to extrude tooth will do any good? No, that's not what chewies are supposed to do. So they don't work on failure to extrude or accidental intrusion. Now look at these two dotted lines, and you'll notice that on the left, it was the uh, tooth that intruded because the aligner is in the place where it's supposed to be, whereas the one on the right, the tooth did not intrude. This, the aligner simply didn't seat all the way. So chewies are not useful on the left one. Chewies are very useful on the right one. That's where their place is. So here's a uh, uh, failed to extrude lateral, and chewies won't work since the tooth is intruded. And here is a number 27 cuspid, where the chewy will also not work since the tooth was accidentally intruded. Okay, here's another clue about minding the gap, and that is that failure to extrude usually has attachments. We talked about that a minute ago. If it doesn't have an attachment, it probably isn't a failure to extrude, and accidental intrusion usually doesn't. So that's one of the things you're going to look for to distinguish the difference. Here's yet another clue, and that is a failure to intrude does not produce a gap around the errant tooth. I'll say that a different way. It produces a gap around the adjacent teeth. Okay, take a look at number nine, and you'll see that that looks like it's seated. But the ClinCheck shows that that's the one that's supposed to intrude. And so when it fails to intrude, it looks fine, and the gap is around eight and seven and six. Okay, so there, around number nine, is no gap, and there, around number eight, is the gap. But nine was the one that was supposed to intrude. Now, take a look at this. This shows you where the aligner would have been, the shape of the aligner, but because of the failed to intrude of tooth number 24, it sits up like that. So there's no gap around the errant tooth, 24, 
and the gap is around the other teeth that are suffering because that tooth is not going in where it's supposed to go. Okay, failure to intrude, failure to extrude. Let's take a look at two more. Okay, can you identify the problem here? All right, here's what was planned. The tooth that you see there, 28, is actually a pontic. It was produced by the ClinCheck. It doesn't really exist in the mouth. And here's what actually happened. There's the space. Look at the difference in the space between tooth number 27 and 29 on the left and what actually happened between 27 and 29 on the right. Okay, let's look at this another way. The problem is failure to distalize. Failure to distalize is a problem. And let's take a look at it in some detail. There's the planned distalization that I just showed you, and here's the actual distalization. Let's look at the difference between the ClinCheck here, that's what was supposed to happen. Now watch the real photograph, and you'll see that, that, mo that the bicuspid is not as far back as it's supposed to be. It didn't distalize all the way. There is an example of the distance between what the ClinCheck said it was supposed to be and what really happened. Can you see the difference between the real and the planned? That was failure to distalize. So you need to recognize that. Now, here's the classic look of failure to distalize. The aligner is further back than the teeth, and so what happens? You get a distal lift or a bounce. When the aligner goes in, it won't grab because the tooth is not as far back, the teeth are not as far back as the aligner thinks they're supposed to be. Take a look at this ClinCheck. Here's before, or what it was supposed to be like, and what it actually was like, okay? That's a force problem. We've been talking mostly about space problems, and now I'm going back to the fact that failure to distalize is more of a force problem, okay? What does failure to distalize look like? There's that classic lift at the very back. It's not going down. Will it help to push it down? Yes, it will some, but you may still not have enough force to get it where you want to. So the aligner tends to bounce. This is not a spacing issue. It is a force and control issue. The aligner simply didn't have enough oomph to be able to push that tooth distally back. Okay, failure to mesialize is basically the same thing, just going in a different direction. So these teeth were supposed to mesialize, these are the anterior teeth, and they stopped right there. Is that a force issue? It's a kind of a force issue what's causing the teeth not to mesialize. This one is occlusal interferences. There's not enough room because of the lower arch. Well, should we help on that? Not much. They lingualize the tooth, but they can't overcome the occlusal contacts. And the, the uh, chewy is now pushing the teeth further in, and they're being resisted by those lower teeth. So you want them to be further from the opposing teeth, not closer, and the chewies are tending to make them go closer. So there you see, boom, that's the occlusal contacts. They're interfering with its ability to mesialize. So in that case, what you don't want to do is push the teeth further lingually. You want to have the ClinCheck planned in such a way that it creates space for them interocclusally. Now, this is failure to mesialize on the posterior teeth, the opposite of what I was showing here. The aligner still bounces because the teeth are further distal than the aligner is. The aligner is further measly. It thinks it's dragging the teeth measly. The teeth are not responding the way they, they're supposed to, and so the aligner then has that classic bounce problem. That's a force issue and not a space issue, unless there was no spaces between these teeth coming forward, and now they can't move forward because they're in a traffic jam. In that case, it is an issue of space. So how do you fix it? The better question is, how do I prevent it? This is all about setting up your ClinChecks in such a way that you create space for them. And so here's one way to fix it. You put a little slit right there uh, on the backside a couple of teeth away and then attach it to a button. I'm going to show you a, a little diagram that shows how that happens. This can be used for distalization or mesialization, and I'll show you both. So here, for example, we want to distalize tooth number 11. So we put a button on it. We put a slit back somewhere at a 45-degree angle, about 3 to 4 millimeters deep, right around tooth number 14, and then hook up an elastic, and the elastic distalizes the teeth. We're pulling the teeth backward in this case. That's if you have failure to distalize. And that's what that might look like. There's a lower one attached to number 22, closing the space between 22 and 21 
actually 21 is gone, so it's tooth number 20. But that space closure is being assisted by the elastic, which creates greater force. That's the problem there. Now, we can also do it a different way. We could take and distalize tooth number, in this case, 13. We would put a slit back by tooth number 15, put an elastic around there, and pull that tooth backward and get a, uh, an increased force to distalize. All right, and then how about chewies here? Will they help in the case of failure to mesialize or distalize? Yes, because they increase the force. When you push down on that aligner, it's increasing the force on the tooth. The lack of space is not the problem if you're going distally, theoretically, I should say, because every case is slightly different. If you go mesially, <clears throat> then force could well be the problem unless you're closing the space, as in the case of that I'm just showing. Anything else? Yes, you should reduce the speed of the movements. You don't want to move quite so quickly because you're asking the aligners to do a bigger job than, they, than they're able to do. And the elastics work, as I've demonstrated, going both directions if it's the last tooth, except if it's the last tooth in the arch. If you're trying to distalize 15, you got nowhere to go. You can't increase the force on the aligner because you can't use an elastic because you can't hook it up to the uvula. But plan on using elastics from the very beginning because if you tell the patient that, then you know they know that they're going to need that. Okay, so that's a force issue unless you're talking about mesializing and you're banging at other teeth. Let's look at that same thing. I'm showing you fixing mesialization. And in this case, I have space between tooth number 11 and 13. So it's a, not a space issue. It's a force issue. So I'm going to pull that tooth forward. And I can do the same thing if I put it on a molar and I can put a slit somewhere around tooth number 11 and pull that tooth forward. I'm, of course, going to have to notch out the aligner in order to make room for that button. And I can do the same thing of 15. Now, can you do it, hook it on 15 and drag them all together? Maybe. It's a faster way to go, but it's also more unpredictable. But you can try that. And if you have trouble with the aligner fit, then, of course, you're going to go to doing it first for 13, then to 14, and then to 15, all which takes a little bit of time. So it's nice to be able to alert the patient of that at the beginning and not promise them a super short case when you're going to be doing all of that distalizing. All right, so that kind of gives you the idea there. Now, let's take a look at this was one on failure to mesialize that was not an occlusal interference problem, but it was a force issue. So I just could notch out the aligners and then put this elastic in. You just have to be very careful for the patient to monitor it to make sure that that doesn't creep downward. In this particular case, I was only in this for about four weeks, and then I'd close that space, but I was adding that in order to increase the force. Now, here is where you have those uh, things called, uh, the, the failure to distalize can be fixed with the current set of aligners, as I mentioned, but I had that in my diagram attached to one of the molars, and here it's attached to a uh, temporary uh, anchorage device, a TAD, and that's a failure of force. Now, if you were trying to distalize the last tooth and you had place in the bone that you could put a mini anchor, then you would be able to have sufficient force to distalize that last tooth in a row. So I suggest that you never distalize more than one tooth at a time. Watch what happens when you have lots of trouble with the teeth moving simultaneously. Let's take a look, for example, at this. Can, could failure to distalize look like this? We've talked about different ways that the aligner gap is manifested for different circumstances. So could failure to distalize produce this look? And the answer is yes. A widespread multi-tooth gap. What's causing that? Watch this ClinCheck. This is a tricky one. Okay, first 15 moves back, 14's in motion, 13's in motions, 12's in motion. You had at one point five teeth being distalized at the same time. Where is an aligner going to get enough muscle to push those teeth backward? The answer is it's not. One of two things are going to happen both to produce that gapping. Either it's going to lean so heavily on those front teeth that it will actually buccalize them enough the aligner will never not seat, or simply that the aligner doesn't have enough force 
but the aligner is acting as though it's elongating out the back and it doesn't. So now it can't get over the teeth and it can't seat. And so the result of that is that you get anterior gapping even though the problem is in the posterior. This, in my judgment, is the most difficult to diagnose. You've got to really be on your ClinCheck watching game in order to make sure that you know how that's working. Okay, that's failure to mesialize and failure to distalize. Let's go to the last section where you have the most challenges for you and the ones where it happens most frequently. Can you identify the problem here? Look at that carefully. Look at the gapping. Look at the, the uh, pressure marks. Look at the attachment. What's the problem? Problem, of course, is failure to rotate. That failure to rotate is a very frequent and serious problem. And much of my clean check setups are designed to solve the problem of the resistance of a tooth to rotate. So in this particular case, I'm going to give you some substantial strategies and clues and tools on how to make that happen. Okay, so here's the tooth. Here's another one. That's failure to rotate. It's almost a classic look. You have a gap around just that tooth and only a little gap on the adjacent teeth. You almost, almost always have an attachment. And you can see there it's a very familiar look. And guess which tooth does it so often? It's those darn cuspids. You've got to work on those cuspids. So what does failure to rotate look like? The clean check shows rotation. Now watch this rotation because this is rotation I did years and years ago. And it's completely the least efficient way to move a tooth, what we call pure rotation. It's spinning like a top. A second characteristic is sometimes it's single tooth and sometimes it's a multi-tooth gap. Sort of depends on the case, not one rule over the other. Now take a look at that attachment. You can see that bubble that's in there and the attachment is not seated in the bubble. And then you'll see some pressure points in your regular location. You can just see how that aligner is straining at that particular tooth, there's a big gap on the mesial lingual from that failure to rotate. And it's almost always some gapping on both sides. Now, the way that you can identify it easily is you take a little pencil and mark around that attachment that you put on and then see the aligner and you can see from that much more easily that the attachment is not inside the bubble. This is a force issue and a space issue, the reason that it makes it more complicated. Most of the time, I've told you it's either a force issue or a space issue. In this case, it's both force and space. So how do you fix it? A better question, here we go again, is how do I prevent it? So here are some fixes. This was a tooth that failed to rotate, and so the doctor observed how much the failure to rotate was. He took a model and blocked out a little area that was bigger than the tooth so that there would be room to move put um, two, not one elastic, but two elastics in, one to do some extrusion and one to do some uh, rotation. They were both on the same bubble, very clever arrangement there. And then abracadabra, the tooth ends up in the right place. A beautiful on-the-fly effort without having to start over. Okay, here's another one, tooth number 27, severely rotated. Okay, in this case, Attachment on the buckle, attachment on the lingual. Lingual's pulling distally, buckle's pulling facially or mesially. And then you can see here the tooth is a little bit more rotated. It's going to need a little bit of IPR. It does a little bit more, and when it finishes it off, it looks like that. A beautiful effort, but I think that there's a way to do it in a more preventative mode rather than a, than a troubleshooting mode. I, uh, I actually have a lot of sympathy for the patient that has to rig up an elastic on the lingual side. That takes a little bit of dexterity to do. Here's one that I had one of my patients do, same sort of thing, rotating tooth number six, and a double elastic technique. I haven't used that for many years because I think that there's a better, more efficient way in a prevention mode. How do you prevent the failure to rotate? First, no pure rotation of cuspids. In fact, no pure rotation of any tooth except possibly the bicuspids between 6 and 11 and 22 and 27. I virtually never use pure rotation because it's the least effective way to go. You're going to use a technique called the hinge-only technique. I'm going to show it to you in my um, clin check. And then you assure that there's no contact with the adjacent teeth 
before the rotation begins. You make sure there's no contact with the adjacent teeth during that rotation. That's to avoid collisions. You're creating space. And then third, I use a little trick called over-rotation, which increases the force. I've got space now. Now I've got to have force. And I recommend 30 degrees over-rotation. I'll show you some examples of that. The hinge effect looks like this. There's no pure rotation on anterior teeth. You always swing like a hinge door. The little red line is showing what that hinge looks like. Okay? This is pure rotation. That's spinning like a top. You can see that that's looking just like a weather vane or a, a, of a clock. See, that rotates as pure rotation. That's the most ineffective way. That's the way I did it on the first one that you showed that I had trouble with. Watch again the hinge. Remember to hinge against the thin buckle plate rather than the thick lingual palatal bone. So you always hinge outward. There it goes. Watch that hinge. And I want you to notice that there's no collisions there because the teeth are a little bit separated by that tenth of a millimeter. And I overcorrect by 30 degrees. Here it goes. There's the correct spot right there. And then I go 30 degrees past correct and then bring it back in. Now, does it actually go back 30 degrees in real life? No, and I don't need it to. I'm doing overcorrection of 30 degrees for insurance. In this case, she went maybe five degrees further, but she fully derotated, and that was done without any refinement there. Now, tw now watch how 26 and 27 never touch. You can't see it from that angle, but watch right there. You see space between them. They didn't touch at all until the last aligner. That's why, as you may know from anything else you've read from me before, I'm a big advocate of not doing ITR until late in the staging. I don't need to because I create space instead. You've seen several examples of the ClinCheck with that one-tenth of a millimeter of space. I'm going to show you another way, another angle of that. This is what we just talked about. <coughs> no pure rotation of the cuspid. You're only going to use the hinge. No contact with the adjacent teeth before the rotation begins. That's in order to avoid collisions and use overcorrection. I recommend 30 degrees. Those three strategies, especially around the cuspids, will prevent all kinds of difficulty because they're rotating without banging into anything. Okay, overcorrection is a very useful tool to prevent failure to rotate. I'm going to give you two other examples. Watch the laterals here. They rotate into their correct position, and then they go 30 degrees further than they need to. And then they jump back. The first one I showed you floated back into place. It over-rotated by 30 degrees, and then re-derotated by 30 degrees in real life, only about 5 degrees. But in this one, you saw that after the teeth got to where they were supposed to be, they jumped backward. Now, for that fellow, I used all of the aligners. In this one, I did not. There were five extra liners needed to do this overcorrection. But by the time she got to where she was supposed to be, her teeth were exactly where they were supposed to be. They tracked perfectly. The result, I threw away those five overcorrection aligners that I didn't need because the teeth did not fail to rotate. I believe the reason they didn't fail to rotate was because they had space. I, I built the ClinCheck so there was no collisions. So if you don't have any collisions, those five extra liners or six or eight or whatever you build in might just be extras and they can go in the wastebasket because the tooth never lagged behind because it had space. Watch one more. Full rotation without going into any collisions. Now, in real life, this did not look like the foot further forward than it looked like there. That looked like it was a little freakish. But in real life, it was hardly noticeable but it created the space I needed to fully derotate and not have to worry about refinement because I didn't have collisions. Okay, let's take a look at this particular one, and you tell me what the problem is. You now know why number 24 intruded, don't you? Now, the doctor who treated this, instead of using elastics or another strategies, he elected to go with bands, but that's not the part that I want to show you. What the part I want to show you is why that happened and what was the forces that caused the tooth to intrude. But you know the answer now, don't you? Look at the ClinCheck. 
and here's the whole clean check as it's supposed to take place, and you watch what happens here, and you tell me where the collision is that caused the problem. I think by this time, you probably know where it is. Watch it again. Did you see it? Here it is. There's that rotation. Boom, the collision right between number 24 and number 25. It couldn't fully rotate or derotate. So instead, as the aligner continued to force it, it had the watermelon seed effect and number 24 intruded. There's the rotation before. And of course, you can see the problem. Now, watch it again. You can see, boom, that's where the collision takes place. So now you know why you have those. The pressure to rotate, though unsuccessful, produced accidental intrusion. That's how that took place. He solved it with brackets, but it wasn't necessary. Okay, there you see it's corrected by the braces and so forth. Now, let's go to the last one, failure to upright. This is the same sort of thing as... Uh, failure to rotate is just in a different direction. And fundamentally, it's harder because there's less surface area on a tooth to upright it. Take a look at tooth number 26, and you'll see that it's supposed to upright here, and you'll see that the aligner doesn't have a whole lot of force because the only place it gets force is down by that gingival margin and in that very lame, tiny, interproximal space. So what happened? By the end of the last aligner, it wasn't fully uprighted. So what did I have to do? I had to take that gapping. You can see the gapping there. It's a multi-tooth gapping when you have failure to upright. I've got it written rotate there, but it's actually a different kind of rotation. It's uprighting. And there's the aligner. And unfortunately, there's where the teeth are, the gapping between them. What caused that? Failure to upright. How do you fix it? The better question is how to prevent it. How did I fix it? I put the elastic on it, put a button on there, and then I tugged on it, just like that, forcing that to upright. I've got a slit back by tooth number 28, and the elastic then pulls the tooth into an upright position, and then it's fully uprighted where it's supposed to be. The space between 25 and 26 and 26 and 27 is sort of equidistant. I left the attachment on, but then at that point, you can take the button off and take the attachment off, and you're all set. Here's another example of tooth number 27 failing to upright. And so what do we do? We notch out the aligner, put the button on, and then put a slit back in the aligner in the back. Now, you, uh, if I were going to treat this myself, I would have tried to put that button a little lower because it's a class 3 lever, and I want the force to be as close to the resistance as I possibly can get it. Would it have done better? Well, I don't know. It did fine as it was. This is one that I had failure to rotate, and one of my solutions in the second series is to put a very large attachment, a vertical one on, so I have a little bit more uh, force as that's uprighting. So preventing failure to upright, you use a larger vertical attachment. So slow down the movements because you'll need a little bit more time and you can't ask the aligner to do such a rush job because it's got less to hold on to because most of the aligner around that tooth is not involved in the uprighting and then plan on using elastics from the beginning. Okay, now with that, that puts us in those last two, feathered upright and feathered to rotate. Those are the, six, those are the eight problems <clears throat> with tracking. And hopefully as you look over those, you'll recognize how they, how they fit. Now, I've, I've presented these today in a way as though they're very individual, as though only one thing is happening. But as you well know, sometimes it's two of the things going on at the same time. Sometimes it's three of them happening at the same time. So life is a little bit more complicated than I presented it, but looking at the ClimCheck is one of the substantial ways that you can learn what's causing the, the failure to track and then also hopefully applying these strategies in order to be able to do them on the fly. The only two that can't absolutely be done on the fly if they have space is you cannot uh, fix a failure to intrude and you cannot fix a failure to distalize if it's the last tooth in the arch unless you use a TAD. Those are the two that can't be managed. Okay, remember, the problem is not that the aligner doesn't fit. The problem is that the tooth didn't move.
ask yourself, why didn't it move? And remember, there's only two reasons. Thanks so much for tuning in today. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Dr. Gates. Great presentation. Uh, just a couple of quick reminders. Please go to the link that is on your screen right now to take your survey and to get your CE certificate. One week from today, this entire program will be archived, archived at the Education tab of your Invisalign doctor site. I wanted to thank Dr. Gates again for a great presentation and for all, all of you for, to take the time out of your Friday to join us. We look forward to seeing you on another Ask the Expert webinar. Thanks very much.